I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, up there in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, home of the Wildcats. It's the Wildcat Will Warren himself. Will, good evening, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, The vibes are good. The weather is nice, for the most part. I'm just glad you got your... Which is always uh, exciting. I'm just glad you got your internet back. A Sunday return yeah. is insane. Of like, we'll be there at some point at the end of the weekend. I would so, be like, no, absolutely not. You're, the, you're the nice. The lovely thing about being an Xfinity customer. <laughs> not um, a sponsor. Yeah, thank God. Nor will it um, ever be. No. Uh, lovely thing about being an Xfinity customer is I did all of that. And then comes back on like four hours after it went off. And they gave me a call. And they were like, sorry, that was just some scheduled maintenance. And I... I don't understand why you don't let people know ahead of time. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people work from home now. Is that a but, thing scheduled four hour outages? Is that something? I don't know. Usually it's like they're upgrading some sort of cabling or whatnot, but yeah, very annoying. The, the last time they did it was on a Sunday and mm. that was fine. Like it's Sunday. I don't really need the internet, but uh, you know, middle of the work week when I work from home, kind of useful. So I don't know. It's like uh, Fred Durst said, it was just one of those days. <laughs> I could I could tell you, Will, if there were any number of musicians that I thought you would never quote on this very program, I think Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit would be near the top of my list. Like, Korn's up there for you. Don't uh, take this as an endorsement. Yes. Uh, <laughs> hey. We, no, who none has of their songs are good. Who has not started a a run with chocolate starfish, hot dog flavored water? <laughs> yeah, who hasn't Ugh. started? Uh, the uh, the pinnacle of that moment is mm. um, Pitchfork really redoing their uh, best songs of the '90s list for like the fiftieth time in my life. 
mm. uh, and putting Freak on a Leash on there. Mm. It's a good song. Uh, I suppose by some measurement, but uh, it's not purely that nostalgic. And yeah, that it, is it honest, of those of that type of like butt rock. That's mm. not bad. Like I, I, that's listenable, which is good. Remember my best friend growing up, he had a gigantic corn tee that he wore in elementary school. And I remember it being like a weird thing where I always was like, because grew up in a sheltered household that I was like, whoa, what is that spoopy, that spoopy shirt you're wearing there? What is, what's corn? Why is that the one so- with the backwards R? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing those around. If you're listening to this, I would like for you to reply to me because I, I made the mistake of like checking in on some of these songs recently. Mm. And you know how... I don't know if this happens to you, but on Spotify, I've noticed uh, whenever I like listen to something and not like out of you know excitement or whatever, I'm just curious to hear it. Mm. It will show up on those like mix playlists later, and so I've got one of my playlists because I was curious to see how these songs held up, and it's like Corn, Deftones, <laughs> System of a Down, stuff like that. Not stuff I listen to, but I was mm. like, well, I'm curious to hear if what I liked in 2005 is still good. So uh, yeah, reply to this with your favorite new metal song. There you go. I feel like, what is Will Warren's most listened to band in the last 20 years? I'm going to say Death Cab. No. Ooh. Most listened to uh, in the last year is T-Swift, but okay. most listened to all time. I've got my last FM pulled up. Don't worry. There you go. Now, that is a 2007 reference. Strictly bands, uh, Animal Collective, Interesting. Uh, Yola Tango, and The Beatles. Those would be the top three. Replacements huh. number four. Never would have guessed that. There's huh. there's some other goons on here. You got a you got Bach number five overall. Uh, mm. Old uh, Johan, not Beck. Johan. No, not Beck. I'm an, I'm okay with Beck. Beck's got uh, some good albums. Mozart very high up here. Okay, big Mozart guy. Uh, got to get some more on there though. I'm trying to get into. I always have the phase where I'm like, oh, this is the year I'm finally getting into classical, and I'm uh, kind of in one of those right now. There you go. Uh, I'm a, I've always been just a, a huge jazz guy. My wife mm. can't stand it. It's brutal. My wife <laughs> cannot stand that I'm just like moving. But you know what's funny that I've learned is I, I have to be very careful with when I listen to jazz because like or like after we get off this and I'm chopping up some audio and I'm uh, watching Sixer Celtics and I'm doing other stuff that like uh, I it's it's perfectly fine to have uh, it, it, my favorite things playing by Coltrane like it's it's mm. perfectly fine uh, to have it on then but um, when I'm driving and I'm listening to one of my favorite jazz albums when I say like I completely forget what I'm doing and that mm. I'm operating a motor vehicle sometimes 70 miles an hour will it's a little dangerous we're like I look it, it it, it, it can be scary sometimes where I'm like, I I don't remember driving for the last like 25 seconds. I, I, like uh, that, uh, like just full on, just pff, really in the moment. And I get in my thoughts and start thinking about stuff. But yeah, that's, uh, that's my thing is, uh, I don't know, but Coltrane, Miles Davis, get into that. I don't know if you're a jazz guy at all, but I do love, love jazz, it. but the, my big work music is Apex twin, the, mm. uh, the ambient guy. Big rate your music head over here, so all of the nerds will get that. There you go. I, I throughout the day I listen to uh, ASMR as well, but I do the. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a Harry Potter kind of guy. Like it's it's not ASMR Weekly, but I've used them before. It's uh oh, what is his name? Um, but it's a guy. He pops out. He's really talented. But anyway, like some days I'm working in uh, 
Hogwarts. Some days I'm working at uh, Hagrid's Hut. Some days I'm working at the Ravenclaw common room as a noted Ravenclaw. What was your house growing up? What did you always get? What's the What's the one where Harry is in it? Gryffindor. That one. That one was the one that I mm. gravitated to when I read the books. Do you know what Cedric is? Uh, no. You have a whatever cat the evil one named is, after him. Slytherin. No. Really? Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, hold on. This is um, it's Robert Pattinson who plays him, right? That is correct. Okay. Ravenclaw. Nope. Okay. There's only one other then, right? <laughs> Which is um, I almost said Jigglypuff. It's Hufflepuff. <laughs> Is that it? What'd you say? Hufflepuff? Is it that is one Hufflepuff. Okay. Okay. He is a Hufflepuff. They're a badger, though. I don't know why they get such a bad rap. They have a cool badger. There's some quality Hufflepuffs. I feel like they seem forgotten in the books to me. I don't really remember yeah. reading much about them. Ravenclaw and them both got got the shaft there. Um, mm-hmm. But then if you go through, like, Star Wars, like, I... Uh, where's my... Like, this is some real nerd vibes going on right now, Will. But um, I've got, like... The I read a lot of the different uh, Star Wars. Like it's not fan fiction. It feels a little. It's just more of like, uh, it's like I don't want to say approved spinoffs, but like to me it's these canon are, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, and a lot of uh, a lot of guys have written um some really great books on it. But getting in depth in the kind of stuff that I'm that I'm into. But yeah, I'm I'm really because like Game of Thrones is probably my favorite book series of all time, and hmm. um. I don't know. I'm definitely into those sorts of uh, sorts of books. So that concludes the recommendation <laughs> station over here with the the books and uh, what Will and I like to listen to and read. But we should talk some college basketball here. You we can tell it's be... the off season, can't you? <laughs> you really can. <laughs> um, outside of uh, well, I'm not. Bob Huggins, uh, not on our list. I've got, I've got a stat. Save it up for you at the end. You'll have to. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll Bob Huggins carefully. stat, huh? It's a Bob Huggins stat. <laughs> yeah, it's a. We'll save it for the end. Okay, we'll save our Bob Huggins. You stuff can bleep it out if you need to. Okay. Um, it's not me saying anything. I promise. Okay. Um, We're just talking about the price of saying something. <laughs> We'll get into that at the end here. Um, all I'll say is uh, that uh, certain, uh, a certain Bob Huggins should not have his job right now. Yeah, greatly um, disappointing. As a, as a supposed legend of the game, greatly disappointing. Yes. Um, way too early top 25 thoughts. So I thought this was interesting. Um, CBS Sports released their top 25 uh, and one after uh, all the transfer movement. And I thought there was a couple of interesting things. I want to first say... UConn at number one after all is said and done. Like, we haven't really considered it. Like, it's just such a rarity in college basketball to have back back. But then you think about, like, the Baylor and the Yukons of the or Baylor and the Gonzagas of the world, that they have shown that it can be done. You can be one of the two best teams in college basketball over a two-year stretch. Um, and maybe that can be the case for UConn again. But, and again, not to uh, besmirch their title run here, but, like, a lot went well it was a pretty nice final four for them it was a pretty nice um tournament for them to thrive in uh not to my own horn i did have uconn winning the national title in my bracket and we talked about before where it was like that early on stat of like whenever uconn starts off this way they won the national title it's like dead giveaway 
Um, what they don't do is go back to back, really. It's not that kind of program. So I don't know. Do you see that as a viable possibility that they could be one of the two best teams in college basketball again next year? Or even like, or does this feel kind of like North Carolina from a season ago where you can or North Carolina goes all the way and then everyone's uh, pretty high on what North Carolina is going to look like this past year, put them at number one preseason and then don't even make the tournament. Uh, which side of the aisle do you fall on more with UConn next year? Definitely more of them being a legit top two team. I mean, I would say the difference between them and UNC is that UConn actually had a really good regular season. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had like the three to four weeks in January where they really swooned. But aside from that, they were a pretty consistent top five team the whole way. They got screwed a little bit on seeding too. I mean, arguably they should have been a three. But that being said... I, uh, I I don't know that I, I'm definitely going to bet against them running it back and winning it again. Hmm. You just have to have a lot of things go right to win one. To do two in a row, and I mean, like, they're not going to be as dominant as they were this time out. To do two in a row would be a real shocking uh, achievement. I mean, there's a reason we've only really seen one team do it in our lifetime. And, you know, they had, what was it, a starting lineup with four NBA players in it hmm. in Florida. Uh, you know, UConn's got a, a lot of future talent on it, but, you know, you're going to lose Jordan Hawkins. You're going to lose a couple other key players, Sonogo, of course. Uh, I think that they are, again, going to be one of the five best teams. Mm. Um, but running it back-to-back is going to be really hard. I think it's a great achievement if, I mean, they if they made the Elite Eight, they would be the first defending champion to do that since Florida. Hmm. Defending cha- No defending champion has come past the Sweet 16 since then. That's wow. 16 years. So if they made the Elite Eight, that's a massive accomplishment. So, I mean, that's not like the sexy answer, but it's the truthful one. Like, mm. you just have to have so much go right when you play in these tournaments. And, you know, they were a good... I, I don't know that they were really lucky this year. They just kind of steamrolled everybody. But mm. you can't count on steamrolling everybody twice in a row. No. And I just think, again, not that it's their fault they played the hand they're dealt, but this was a pretty... Like the blue bloods were were down by and large, and there was a lot. It wasn't like a season ago, and it wasn't just like there wasn't what we said all year long. There wasn't really a great team. There wasn't yeah. really that those dominant just from beginning to end, like a lot of powerhouses at the top of the sport. This was pretty pretty mercurial all season long. And I th- I honestly think you're just gonna see that same thing this next year. Do you? Yeah, I. There's so not, toss like... out this top twenty five and one for next year. Like it's gonna be. Yeah. It's going to uh, well, be a mess. I, I mean, I'm not going to be surprised if some, for transparency here, one through five is UConn, Purdue, Marquette, Duke, FAU. Mm. Would it, I don't think it'd be a shock at all to see like three or even four of those five actually be top five teams. Hmm. I would be, I would admittedly be a little surprised if FAU took another step up after already taking the big leap. That would, that doesn't really happen often mm. in college hoops, but uh, the difference is less about that than, and more about like, are any of these teams that much better than one another? Because so right now, I mean, you can't really tell a ton from projections in mid-May, but like right now, Kansas, their adjusted efficiency margin in Torvik's preseason projections is plus 24.5. That would have been like barely a top five team this past season. Hmm. So that's kind of what we're looking at is, you know, Will a team pop off and really stand out? Like, sure, I wouldn't be shocked to see Purdue do basically the same thing they already did. Definitely wouldn't be surprised to see Duke perform really well. Same with UConn, same with Marquette. 
Um, but I think it's going to be another season where you see a lot of teams just sort of interchangeably at the top. There's no clear standout. I don't know that you'll have another four seed win at all or whatever, but it's not going to be a year where you look back and you're like, that was one of the best teams ever to win the title. Interesting. I, uh, who is your, can you even do this yet? Who is your UConn next year to benefit the most? Could it be Creighton or is it, could it be Marquette? Who is the most likely complete team and who has the best regular season, really solid regular season next year who benefits from another, just no, just uh, best of the best at the top of the sport. The the best regular season team, I think, is going to be Purdue. Um, either Purdue or Duke won. Hmm. Uh, Duke's talent is probably, like, on paper in terms of the ceiling, unmatched in college hoops right now. Like, they extremely, extremely high-end roster on paper. You know, will we'll it all come together? We'll see. But that's Kentucky's that's got the team. a lot of dudes too. Kentucky's going to have a lot of dudes in that building as well. They, they've got a lot of dudes, but it's very inexperienced. Whereas Duke's got a hair more experience and yeah. talent, which is critical. But uh, Duke's probably got the highest ceiling. Purdue feels quite safe to do really well. Mm. Um, but it's going to be a thing of you. I mean, you really could get to Selection Sunday ten months from now and say, like, wait, Purdue's a one seed again. <laughs> And, you know, they went like 14 and six in the Big Ten or whatever. You're like, well, okay, I guess. (laughs) And that's kind of like the thing you're looking at. I mean, obviously, this could all look really stupid come November. But, I mean, none of these rosters really stand out that far from the other right now. My my man, John Fendler, put it really aptly on Twitter where mid-major and high-major teams are kind of trading talent at a pace they've never done before. Mm-hmm. And instead, and like people are really afraid of mid-majors losing it all to high-major schools. But all that's doing really is taking mid-major athleticism and putting it on Big 12 and SEC and Big East and ACC rosters. When you get to March, those teams like, hey, we already played against those dudes and they're in a different uniform. That doesn't really scare us like a Duke would, for example. That's fair um will sec team i have this for you i wanted to pick your brain on this one an sec team that struggled last year that you like going into next year and you kind of like what they've done in the portal and recruiting and just kind of the way they play who who is that for you uh next year for the sec the the answer that would make everyone angriest is tennessee because Mm -hmm. i actually do believe their offense got a lot better but okay um now, I have two answers for this kind of on different levels of like one team that I expect to make the tournament and one team that's like a bubbly type of team. Mm. Team that wasn't as bad as they looked last year, but made some really smart portal additions is Florida. Mm. Uh, I like quite a bit of what they did. Uh, they don't really return that much from last year, but I don't think that's a huge problem. Uh, Tyrese Samuel from uh, Seton Hall, quite the good player, good on both ends. And for a tall guy, fairly switchable. I like him quite a bit. Micah Hand Lopton is my guess here mm. from uh, Marshall. Also a huge rebounding threat. Kind of fills in the Colin Castleton role a little bit, though we'll see mm. if he's you know quite to that level. And the big one for me was Walter Clayton from Iona. Mm. Uh, I was shocked that he did not go to St. John's with Patino. I, I genuinely thought that was going to happen. Mm. And that's huge because he was pretty easily Iona's best uh, perimeter defender last year, as well as their best scorer, uh, career 41% three-point shooter. I mean, 
most of what they did looks really smart. They're kind of the poster child for the the theory of mid-major talent being traded for high majors. Mm-hmm. Like Florida, if you looked at their recruiting on paper talent, has like a bottom three roster in the SEC. But they have a very proven college basketball roster with guys who have gone and done it. They've done smart transfer moves, and they've got a couple key starters back from last year's team. I, I you think feel they're a tournament like, team? Yeah, I, I think they'll be low end top twenty five. Interesting. I, I think that they are very steadily like they'll have a high floor and a very low ceiling of like mm. they're they're going to be very, very firmly be like the twenty second best team, mm. which is totally fine given where they've been. So that's like a step up. Other team I'm looking at as taking a big step forward is LSU. Hmm. Uh, I like a lot of what LSU Oak Ridge did in the portal. Huh? Oak Ridge's own. Yeah, Oak Ridge's own. McMahon. Jalen Cook from Tulane, one of my favorite players in the portal. Will Baker from Nevada, the seven-footer. Um, I don't know. I just like a lot of what they did. I forgot about them getting Jordan Wright from Vandy, by the way. That's mm. a sneaky good ad. Uh, and I don't think he'll have to create as much there as he did at Vandy, which will be good for him. Uh, I don't know. I liked a lot of what they did. I think McMahon didn't forget to coach overnight. I know like last year was quite bad, but they're going to have more high major starter level players on this roster than I think they did last year, where it was more or less just KJ Williams. Um, so I, I feel pretty good about those two taking a step forward. Who do you think's better, LSU or Florida? Florida. Uh, Florida's got the higher. The interesting thing is I think LSU has the higher ceiling if it all came together. And not in a way of like they'd be, you know, dramatically better than Florida, but they have the potential to be like a top 20, maybe even top 15 team if everything went right in a way that Florida probably doesn't. But Florida's floor is a lot, lot higher than LSU's. Can I tee you up here for a second? Yes. A lot of Georgia fans are pretty excited about what Mike White's done in the portal. A lot Mm -hmm. of Georgia fans feel like Georgia's on the up and up. Do you share that optimism? They're going to be on the up and up all the way to 7-11 and 11 in the SEC this year. So they will be better. I don't know what their record was last year off the top of my head. I mean, I, I think last year Georgia gave off a strong vibe of like people saw their first like two and a half months and they were like, oh, they're so much improved. And like, yeah, it's not hard to improve over 6-25. and 25. So mm. like they were quite – they were better. But they, they were really – like uh, kind of like secretly getting blown out a lot. Mm. So they they finished 16 and 16 last year, 6 and 12 in the conference. Uh, they were lower than both Ole Miss and LSU on Ken Palm. Mm. Uh, those two teams combined for five SEC wins because Georgia, when they lost, they lost with a capital L. Uh, some may remember them losing by 32 to Arkansas, uh, 49 to Alabama. Mm. 29 to Tennessee, which is honestly quite an accomplishment for an in-conference game. Uh, and I forgot about them losing back-to-back games by 21 to Auburn and 25 to A&M. So, yeah, they, they pulled off some solid wins, but when they lost, they got blown off the court. And that's kind of a bad trend. Of It kind of makes me feel a little bit like Michigan State football in that way, of like, you can't get lucky forever. So... I think they could take a huge step forward in on-paper performance without maybe taking the same step forward in wins. Interesting. Who do you think oh, – this is, like, a great er- – too early, and I didn't prepare you for this. But <laughs> nah, I don't like the Hulk under your head. We don't have to make it that serious. But just your gut instinct, who do you think is the worst SEC team next year? 
uh, Vanderbilt. Oh, that's so that's brutal, man. Stackhouse just making some progress in the tournament. And I, then I just Vandy think they're going to be. Good. They've mm. got a rough mix of not really adding much in the portal yet. I mean, we'll see. And I, I guess uh, I don't know if the whole NBA coaching situation is resolved yet or not. We'll monitor hmm. that. I, it probably is. I think he's coming back. But I mean, the Raptors' job is open, and he was their G League coach. Yeah, that's the thing. It's still not close. So mm. it just seems like he's the third choice or whatever. So we'll Crazy see. Crazy things have happened. Three. Yeah, but I mean, you look at the roster. They have one junior or senior on the entire roster Mm. uh which is not like an outright you know this won't work type of deal but he hasn't recruited well enough to cover up for that in terms of like high-end classes like they've got a couple four stars on the roster but that i mean you're competing in the sec you need more than a couple four stars on your roster and it's hard to point out who would be the big riser though somebody is required to score points but i mean on paper i think they're going to be the top contender for last. Uh, I'm not, I, I guess South Carolina would be next closest, but even then I don't think it's that close of a battle. Interesting. Um, speaking of uh, not close battles, Will Warren, Hunter Dickinson ends up at Kansas. Kansas is going to be a top 10 team next year. You're obviously someone who has watched a lot of Hunter Dickinson uh, in your uh, college basketball watching in your Michigan fandom. And one of the things I think is interesting because a lot of people got, uh, up in arms about what he said about like with uh, people do this for their job you would move to for uh more money whatever so nil was influenced into why he made his decision i still think way too much has been made about that where it's like he ended up at kansas folks um have you heard of kansas have you heard about this have you heard about them it's not like he took a a big nil package to arizona state um then you're like that's an nil move no he picked somewhere where they put a lot of dudes in the league and uh, they win a lot of titles, and they're just, they're, they're Kansas. Kansas Jocks are pretty good. That being said, one of the things that I want to get your perspective on this, Will, because I think what's being left out here is when guys are entering the portal or guys are moving on, Michigan is not exactly one of those schools that's lacking in NIL. They're not struggling in the NIL department. Juwan Howard in that administration, I just... I don't think that is what's holding Michigan back, and I don't think that's why they had a really rough season this past year. I think if he was a priority to retaining, they would have retained Hunter Dickinson. Like, if that was something that we're like, because the seat's getting a little warm for Juwan Howard. Like, this was, like, you've got to win more. Like, there is an expectation of being better uh, than what they've been the last two years. I look at it. And I'm like, I don't know if it's that great. So when people get really excited about stuff like this, I'm like, I go the other way where I'm like, are you sure it's a good sign that Michigan was like perfectly fine being like, yeah, we would rather move our dollars or invest differently than another year of the Hunter Dickinson uh, conversation. And I mean, he's not going to say that. That makes no sense for him to say that. But there are two sides of this. And I think people who are reacting to the just the Hunter Dickinson perspective, I'm like, I look at it the other way where I'm like, usually when guys are doing that, I, I'm wondering why were they so okay moving on, especially in a situation like Michigan where they really need to be really good next year. And they were like, mm, we're good with Hunter going somewhere else. What do you think? Is that a fair characterization of all that? More or less. Uh, I, I don't think that he was obviously going to be like a net negative for Michigan. I think it would have mm. been nice for them for him to come back. 
But that being said, I think there are some, I, I mean, definitely among fans, like, you know, MGO blog and whatnot, and maybe in the administration, there's growing frustration about how infrequently you saw a capital H Hunter, mm. uh, where in terms of like how frequently he would show up for like games. I mean, there were a few times last season uh, and not against like high end competition, really, like against your, you know, and not to say that they were bad, but against, like, your Illinois of the world. It's not like Illinois was very good last year. Where Hunter Dickinson just got demolished in the post. Like, mm. could not defend to save his life. Clearly could not, uh, you know, get going against certain teams. Like, I mean, it's not as if they're a very tall team. And he was awful against Penn State. Like, both games, very bad. Uh, people remember him hitting the shot against Wisconsin to send that game to overtime and later win. But... I mean, he, he played well at times over the course of the season, but his motivation definitely waned, and I wonder if that was a factor. But the other aspect of it is I, I like Hunter Dixon a lot, and I think he's a tremendous college player. Uh, but the reason he hasn't gotten an NBA chance, despite being a center that can actually shoot threes quite well, is that he is a horrendous defender, especially one-on-one. Uh, I, I'm wondering how, if at all, Bill Self plans on masking that because Hunter Dickinson is not a tr- like a terrible rim protector, but he's mm. not a great one, and he's not fast enough in space to recover on ball screens. Michigan more or less had to play exclusively drop coverage against quality opponents mm. uh, and just risk uh, guards shooting over the top of them, which happened a lot with the previous team and happened a, a little less this year because they had a taller backcourt, but still pretty frequently. Uh, I wonder how Kansas is going to handle that because you've got some solid pieces there. Like, Dewan Harris is going to be really cool to watch. I'm excited to see Nick Timberlake play for them. And if K.J. Adams sticks around, I think he could really help out with the defensive side of things. I I don't know how that's going to work with those two playing together if they do. But you got to find a way to hide Hunter on defense a little bit just because he does not have the recovery skills or – much in the way of like defensive effort for the most part uh, that helps him stand out. Now, offensively, he's in- incredible, like absolutely capable of scoring 40 in a game this year. Mm. But you have to deal with the chance of him like giving up 30 in the same game on the other end. That's the other thing. He seems like a weird big for Bill Self. Like it doesn't feel Not like the, the traditional cleanest Bill fit. Self big at all. Right? Yeah. I don't know if that's the slam dunk. He's good for Kansas. I think he's going to be good. I don't think he's going to be, like, player of the year level, like it seems yeah. some are expecting. If but, he didn't go there, would you have said that he fit better somewhere else where you would have been seen, rather have seen him go? I thought he fit really well at Maryland, and I was a little mm. surprised he didn't go that route, though maybe that would have been strange with the, like, interconference move. Mm. That might have, he might have, I know you had to enter the portal by May 1st, which he did easily, but mm. I don't know if you had to decide by May 1st if that was a thing. Mm. Um, but either way, I thought that would have been good. I don't think Georgetown would have moved the needle at all. That's kind of just a, like, yeah, I mean, they, they won't be as bad this year, but it's still, you don't want to go there for a year one project if you're Hunter Dickinson, you want to go somewhere established. And it, I think it kind of works both ways for like, Michigan was probably ready to move on, but Hunter was probably ready to move on too. I mean, you have that great freshman year, and then your next two years are scrapping into the tournament. And, like, yeah, you get into the Sweet 16, but it was a real battle just to make the tournament in the first place. And then the NIT did this year when, you know, things just sort of fell apart all over the place. 
Uh, I don't think he wanted to sign up for a Jawan hot seat year at all. So it, it, it makes sense for both sides to have sort of a fresh start. That's fair. Um, Will, you're, you wrote a piece on Loyola, Chicago. What did you find? Uh, well, uh, a lot of embarrassing stuff I've said about them, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, Loyola, I think, kind of slipped off the consciousness of most this year because you got to March and you're like, oh, they're not even close to the tournament. I don't have to hear about Sister Jean or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was part of it. But it was a genuinely unprecedented collapse from mm-hmm. one year to the next. So this happens occasionally, but it is very rare. Loyola finished 29th in Ken Palm 2021-22. They finished 253rd this past year. That's a 224-spot drop. And they were projected top 60, so it's not like they were expected to be this bad. It mm-hmm. completely just shook the the bottom out overnight. And what happened was they more or less ran the same offense, You know, had some tweaks in there and whatnot, and created good shots, but they lost a lot of talent from the previous year's team that was a 10 seed to the next level or to graduation and what they were left was with guys who couldn't hit shots. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just, the percentages all over the board took a big downturn. They didn't have a backup point guard, which was a problem. So their turnover rate was sky high and uh, defensively they were a mess. They had no rim protector, didn't have a shutdown uh, guard or wing. And so just a mess all around. Um, what was strange was I went into that expecting to feel really negative about Drew Valentine as a coach, mm. and I came out of it feeling okay. Um, okay. Which is, it's not like, I don't know if he's a surefire star anymore, but when I watched the games, the offense created a lot of good looks that the players just didn't hit. Mm. The defense was tremendous the year before, and the year before that with Cameron Crutwig at center, and both times Drew Valentine was the defensive coordinator. And I don't think he forgot how to coach defense overnight. He just didn't have the right personnel to run what they normally run. Mm. So with some adjustments in year three here, and they have made a lot of moves in the transfer portal and bring back a good amount of talent, though not a lot, they should take a step, like a significant step back in the right direction. I I think they will be a 21 team this year. Interesting. Um, They also have a cool atmosphere. Like Loyola Chicago actually is a sneaky good college basketball bucket list spot have mm-hmm. you been to a game there or no no i would like to though i mean that seems like a fun spot and mm. now that they're in the a10 there's some intriguing regional matchups they could find themselves in Ooh, without looking who's in the a10 right now will fordham george mason LaSalle, umass dayton st louis richmond so that's seven of so that's eight with loyola there's some weird ones in there This is a really good one on the spot, actually. VCU, that's nine. Mm. Um, Fordham. Duquesne, 10. Mm-hmm. There's some other New York ones that I'm forgetting. Oh, wait, no. No, I got I got St. Louis. So that's 10 of 15. St. Bonaventure is 11. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a little embarrassing, actually. I feel like I should be able to get this. No, it changes. Yeah, I mean, it changes a lot. So St. Bonaventure. Can, you um, want me to give it to you? No, I've, Davidson. That that's is that's Davidson. As, Davidson, that's as far as I got. So that's 12 of 15. Okay, Davidson. 
Dayton, Decane, okay. Fordham, George Mason, George Washington, LaSalle, uh... Loyola, UMass, Rhode Island, Richmond, the Bonnies, St. Joe's. That was the other one. St. Louis and VCU. So I miss George Washington and St. Joe's, which I'm thinking is at least a little fair. Mm-hmm. It's not as if either's really been on the national map lately. And they got rid of our guy, Jamie on. Like they've mm-hmm. been out for us since yeah. they moved on from Jamie on a couple years ago now. Um, deep dive. I want to do this every week here. Will a deep dive uh, from a good story from last year and Kansas, Kennesaw state, I think makes the list here. Uh, obviously new coach in the fold for next year. Um, their coach goes on to South Florida, right? And that where he, okay. Um, yeah. moves on quickly. There were some rumblings like, does he just move up basically to Georgia tech? That job opened up. There was kind of a natural fit, but he moves on to South Florida. Um, but how did they make the tournament? When you go back through last year's magical first time ever run, by the owls and can they replicate it can what they did last year be replicated in uh the, the, i shouldn't say the g5 what uh what the what am i thinking of what uh not g not g5 what's the g5 equivalent um in college uh, basketball? mid-majors mid-major yeah why i'm like blanking on mid-major <laughs> i was like why am i blanking on mid-major mid-major can it be replicated by anyone next year well, I'll think on the replication aspect. But so last year's Kennesaw team, uh, it, it was a slow build, right? So you take over in the year before COVID, 2019-2020, they go 1-28. Mm. Horrible first year, right? <laughs> like, about as bad as you can do. They shot worse than anybody in the country at both twos and threes. They finished the year shooting 24% from three, which is astounding. <laughs> um but they just kept at it, like slow mm. incline. Five and nineteen the next year, thirteen and eighteen last year, and then obviously this year they took off. The keys were returned quite a bit of talent from that team, a uh, second highest minutes continuity from year to year. Mm. Very experienced team, not very tall, but what that allowed them to do was play pretty fast and very aggressive defensively. They forced a lot of turnovers, protected the boards quite well. And the, the crucial aspect for a team like this that needs that extra step, they did get lucky in tight games. Like they won 11 and four in games decided by six or less, mm-hmm. which, I mean, there's nothing sustainable about that. That's just good luck. But they deserved it. And even if you had narrowed that down a little bit, that's still a 20-plus win season. So the the way they could come out over the top in these games, you have the turnovers, which is one thing, but they had guards who were reliably really good at getting to the rim. Terrell Burden, in particular, phenomenal at that. Mm. Uh, and they were once again tremendous at hitting threes, 36th in the nation. And I, I don't know that we knew early on just how you know improved or how good they were because they had some decent results against uh, teams of note. Like they only lost by 10 to Florida, only lost by three to VCU. But they also had some pretty rough losses. Like they lost by 24 to Campbell in non-conference. Lost by uh, three to North Florida, which is not good. But then once the calendar turned to January and they started ASUN play, they just took off. I mean, Mm. they went 15-3, and beat Liberty in a home game, and then beat Liberty in the ASUN tournament. Came up awfully close against Xavier. So close. and That was a fun game, though. 
That was one of the better games in the tournament, honestly. But the, the, what changed, I thought, was they, they simply became a lot better at running their offensive system. That's a key thing of like continuity, I think, is when you have all those dudes come back, and it's not necessarily taking a huge leap, but just mm. being more comfortable with what you run and you know, having more confidence in the sets you put out on the floor. But the changes were the defense. I mean, mm. so much more aggressive than years prior, so much better at making teams uncomfortable. I mean, we saw it in that tournament. It wasn't as if Xavier faced like bad defenses this season, right? Like mm. the Big East had some pretty solid ones. But Kennesaw made them really uncomfortable for large stretches of that game. And I mean, Xavier pulled it out, credit to him, but it wasn't easy by any stretch. I mean, Kennesaw played them a lot harder and a lot tougher than the round of 32 opponent Pitt did. Do you think they're just as good next year? Or do you think they're a tournament team or no? They're going to take a huge step back, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. They lose most of this roster. Uh, I think a guy or two transferred to USF, though not mm-hmm. much. They, I think they only return one starter from this past season. Uh, they will take a big step back, but it's one of those things where it's worth taking the step back because of how you went for it in the first place. Uh, you know, the pain is momentary, but the, the joy of that, that'll last a long time. And I'm excited to see what Amir does at USF, that's a job that I felt like is maybe not a true sleeping giant, but has deserved better results for a long time than it's gotten. And I want to see if he could be the guy to take them to that next level. You know, I don't think they're going to be amazing, but you, if you're literally in Tampa, Florida, Mm. if you can't make the tournament more than once every 20 years, you need to fold the program. Mm -hmm. You have talent upon talent upon talent to just, fall into your lap and it's it's you know beyond time somebody takes advantage of that um they approved a new football stadium 22 million um and you got our guy alex golish longtime hypo i almost asked if their coach was still the guy named jeff oh uh no this was his last uh last year jeff scott he got fired i haven't thought about usf football in a very long time not since um matt grothy what was no Quentin the, um, Flowers? Yeah, Flowers. That guy. Mm. That guy was good. He was so really like good. 2017, I guess. Yeah, Matt Grothy though. Look at the Visor game back in the day. Matt mm. Grothy was a fun college quarterback when I was in like high school, I guess. The Jim, uh, the Jim Levitt teams were. Uh, that was a Jim Levitt team. Yeah, I have a fond memory of watching them play Rutgers as number two. <laughs> um, I wonder where they go. Like UCF moves up to the Big Twelve. I wonder if USF uh, is on course for maybe a. A bigger jump in the next couple of years i don't know fau right there a lot of talent um and a lot of competition in that area um mm. as well uh will final thing here um stats that have caught your eye that i'm terrified to ask you based on the beginning of this very podcast sir i'll give you a real one and then you can bleep out the fake one okay um so the bart torvik's got this uh the stat called transfer points mm. and it's just like an estimated value of what you've added to your roster via the portal without looking can you guess who is number one in transfer points this offseason transfer points yeah so most value added via the portal gonzaga no not they're high up there they're like top 10 but not number one um st john's 
No, one more guess. This team is west of Tennessee. Oh, Arkansas? No, it is Cal. I should have said I didn't want to say West Coast because it would have given yeah. it away, I thought. I like, but uh, yeah, Cal, number one in the nation in production added via the portal. So Good for our guy, Mark Madsen. Mark Madsen is a terrific coach. You're all in. You're going to be... Oh, man, I can already yeah. see the text from Stats by Will over here. Uh, I, on the, December. the first time he plays Bobby Hurley is my Super Bowl. Oh, my God. It, it will be... It's a national holiday in this household. You're going to be you what? At, You're going to be grinding the Cal Golden Bear tape at 11 p.m. East Coast time. <laughs> that's a, look, that's assuming one I can even watch their games on the Pac-12 network. Not real as far as I'm they concerned. They might be on Amazon Prime by then, who knows. Oh, that, that actually might be an improvement because mm-hmm. I can watch those. Uh, but the names of the guys they added really good. Uh, the big 3 everybody is going to know Fardaz Amac from mm. Texas Tech via Utah Valley where he was with Madsen the first time. Uh, but also Jalen Tyson from Texas mm-hmm. Tech, who's a tremendous defensive piece this year and really good in somewhat limited minutes. Uh, and former recruiting uh, standout Jalen Cohn, who ended up at Northern Arizona, really interested to see how he works out at a high mm-hmm. major level. He averaged 18 a game at Northern Arizona last year, uh, really good at hunting his own shot, and honestly built like a high major guard. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to see that roster come together. Uh, John Fendler, again, another name drop, Mm. had a spreadsheet he put on his Twitter like a week ago Mm. in his biggest year-over-year jumps in Torvik ranking, Mm. if it held like to to November 7th or whenever they'll start the season. Mm -hmm. Cal has jumped 195 spots from their end-of-season ranking this past year. So, and that's like going, I mean, 265 to 70 is going from all-time horrendous to just competent. Mm-hmm. But that's a, that's a huge leap. Like if you're just competent, that's something. I like it. I like it. All right, Will. Well, can we save the say? I don't want to edit yes, this. You I don't want to chop I will this. Send, I'll tell you off air. Okay, perfect. Well, go subscribe to statsbywill.substack.com. I'm so I feel bad for the listeners who waited for that, but uh, subscribe to our Patreon for the the band yeah. stats uh, over there, <laughs> or just subscribe to statsbywill.substack.com and email them, and maybe you can get an answer there. Yeah. Um, but all kinds of great uh, off season college basketball content over on Will Substack. So go subscribe today if you have not already will thank you as always my friend and i will talk to you next week thanks for having me on all right we're back here on the chase notes podcast taping this late on a thursday the night owl himself brent hubs of ballquest.com brent good evening sir how are you I'm doing great. Hope you're doing well, Chase. Good to see you again, my friend. Hope things are good. Things are good. You know what's interesting? In the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast, and folks should go check that out over on VolQuest, they don't ask like the questions like, is Brent Hubs a, a night owl or morning owl? They, all they want is Tennessee this, Tennessee that. None of them are ever personal questions about, is Brent Hubs a dog guy or is he a cat guy? Which one are you? I feel like you don't have either. Oh, Am I no, wrong? My ki- no, my kids got me. My kids oh. got me. So we have... We have a cat that we adopted. My wife brought a kitten home that she found abandoned on the side of a road or mm. at, at a work deal. And then um, my kids years ago talked me into taking in two rescue dogs. One's no longer with us, Batman mm. and Robin. Batman's left us, <laughs> but we still have Robin running around. So um, we have 
we have two cats and a dog. And I hope the cat doesn't make an appearance on this podcast because one of them has been known to sneak around from time to time, but hopefully nobody will pop up in the middle of this thing. There so unfortunately I'm both. Now, if it were just my call, no, there would be neither. See, that's the thing is like, if it's your call, you just don't strike me as no, the time. I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. If it's, if it's my call. There you go. Brent, um, there is some Tennessee stuff that I wanted to pick your brain about. Um, first, which vol do you think who had the best spring given what you like? Who do you think had the best spring given what you thought of them before spring ball? So in terms of the jump of like you like, let's say January, February, about where you thought a player was and then you saw what they looked like uh, come spring. Who do you think had the biggest jump? I think the biggest surprise to me, not necessarily jump from a talent standpoint or improvement, but the biggest surprise to me is where Kamal Haddon is right now. Hmm. Um, I was not sure Kamal Haddon would even be a part of this program. I, I wasn't sure kind of where he was mentally. Obviously, he had an interesting season last season, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and has a hard time controlling his emotions on the field. And I kind of thought, you know what, they brought, they're bringing in these new corners uh, they bring in the transfer, Gabe, Judy, Lolly, and you're thinking, okay, somebody's got to go somewhere, right? It's just, mm. you know, it's inevitable. Maybe he's a guy to keep an eye on. We'll see how he handles new competition and, and how that works for him. And he comes out of spring as, as arguably their best corner, um, mm. you know, as a starter. And um, that's that's not a prediction I would have made going into spring practice or, or in – January or February. So he would be my one on the defensive side of the ball. Um, offensively, I would have told you Ethan Davis, even though he's a freshman, Ethan Davis wasn't going to play. I thought mm -hmm. he would probably be a likely red shirt coming off the shoulder, you know, big receiver, probably wasn't physical enough, all that. I saw enough of Ethan Davis. If he's healthy, he's going to help this team. He's not going to start but I think he'll help this team at tight end. Those two are probably on each side of the ball. Those two were probably my two biggest surprises or people who did more, made more noise in, in the spring than I expected. So Kamal, if the season started tomorrow, is starting on one side. I think so, yeah, I do. I mean, mm -hmm. now, ask me that June 10th, you know, or June <laughs> 18th. I mean, who knows? Um, you know, anything Man. can change. I mean, can he stay focused enough and, and do all the things that he needs to do We'll see. For 15 spring practices, he was really good. And, um, you know, right now, if they were playing a game tomorrow, he'd be a starter at corner for sure. Does that put Warren Brout the four spot? Like, could he slide all the way down with Gabe Julie Lolly right there, Jordan Matthew? Like, and he didn't enter the portal. Like, he was someone that no one was talking about. I was like, I wonder if Warren Burrell enters the portal. Like, he was someone that I just kind of wondered. I mean, obviously injured and couldn't do much. Like, were you surprised that he ultimately stuck around here? I was surprised that nobody entered the portal from that position. Yeah. You know, that that's what jumped out to me the most. I'm like, okay, somebody, I mean, somebody in the secondary is not coming back. Right. Mm. I mean, it's just, it's kind of inevitable here and you know, here they all are. And mm. so um, some interesting puzzle pieces. Um, the question is, what does the puzzle look like? You know, does you're asking where Warren Burrell was, where's Danico Slaughter going to play? Mm. Is he going to be the other corner? Do they move him to safety? Does he play nickel? What, what do they do with the Nico Slaughter? I think when you looked at them at the end of the year, he was clearly one of their best five. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to say he's not going to be one of their best five um, this fall. Just where is that? Is that corner? Is it going to be him and Kamal Haddon? Where mm -hmm. does that put the transfer game, Judy Lawley? Um, as you mentioned, where does that put Warren Burrell? Uh, where's Jordan Matthews? 
Um, how does kind of all that shake out? And then you look at him at the safety spot, you know, Jalen McCullough, how married are you to that? I mean, if you're William Martinez, I mean, is that, you know, you, you know what, you know what Jalen is. Are you married to that? Or are you sitting there going, okay, we've got Wesley Walker and maybe we want to play Danico at, at safety, or maybe it's Christian Charles, you know, or maybe it's Jordan Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, then you look at the, the nickel spot. All right. Tamari McDonald's back. He had a solid year, but is he your best guy there? Could Danico play there? He, you know, played there as a freshman and against South Carolina. So um, they've just got a lot more pieces. You're just not sure what kind of puzzle that's going to be when it, when it's all said and done. And I, I think that's a outside of obviously the offensive tackle position. I think the biggest question mark for this team in fall camp is going to be what does that puzzle look like in the back end. Yeah, and I wonder too, because it seems like when the positions are settled come the portal time, that's when the guys, the odd man's out, the odd men out uh, situation pops up. And I wonder if the situation with the corners was just that like they came through spring, they're like, this is completely open for everybody come summertime. So it's like, why dip out now? Because no one's really established that like, I'm not going to play this fall. Like it's very much up in the air for so many dudes. I wonder if that's the reason no one ended up in the portal. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I didn't even mention Brandon Turnage, you know, he's on this team. If he can stay healthy, I think it's a couple things. One, I think exactly what you're saying, Chase. I don't think anybody feels like, Hey, that guy's got something on lockdown. Okay, mm-hmm. Jamal had a great 15 days. Can he have a great 15 weeks? You know, it's a big question mark. We'll, we'll see mm-hmm. what that looks like. Um, you know, and, you know, where's Slaughter play? Where's your best five? All that question mark, you know, it kind of pops up in, into there. And, and then you've got an open competition that everybody feels like they've got a shot. And then I think the other thing, too, when you look at the overall number of transfers, the guys who live, left the program are leaving the program, not a lot of guys are looking to flee. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think this is a fun program to be a part of. It's a group of coaches that are personable. I think that they see guys for more than just a number or a nameplate on the back of a jersey. I think they feel like there's a real home feel to it, a family vibe to it. And I, I'm not sure a lot of guys are just looking to, to bolt if they think they have a chance to play. Now, if they don't think they've got a chance to play, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, but clearly, some of those guys in the back end still feel like they got an opportunity to win a job. That's why nobody left. Which, again, if you're going to ask me back in January, where are they going to have, where are they going to have defections at? Where are guys going to enter the portal? Somebody in that secondary is leaving at some point at the end of spring, and we just didn't see it happen, which surprises me. I thought it'd be a running back, to be honest. I thought one of the running backs would still find their way. Like Jalen had that offseason where he's just it's amazing just tweets now you just never know what tweets oh, yeah. uh, might mean um, and then everyone just assumes oh he got taken care of it's like you don't know that we don't know what happened here we, everyone just runs wild with any kind of tweet and then if things get resolved it's like oh clearly that that's why it got resolved or clearly that's why it did not get resolved i don't well, know because i just remember this yeah. about running back remember mm-hmm. this about running back jabari small didn't go through spring practice because mm-hmm. he, you know, he had the shoulder they shut um jalen right down in spring practice Nobody knew what Cam Seldon and what, mm-hmm. he, what he was going to be until they got – I mean, he was in a red jersey halfway through spring practice. He didn't really do anything until the last two scrimmages. And then Deshaun Bishop is, you know, like, okay, he's a local guy who's getting a bunch of reps. Okay, he's done a solid job. But I don't think anybody felt threatened for their job or for snaps because because of him. And, you know, Cam Seldon's still trying to figure out what pass protection is. So I don't think any of those guys at the running back position 
felt threatened for opportunities. I mean, Dylan mm-hmm. Sampson does like, hey, I'm I'm lead dog in spring practice here. I'm getting my my chance to shine. So I don't think any of them felt like, all right, somebody's taking my job right now. Um, and so I, I think that part of it is a little bit different as well. But you, you look about it. Here's the other thing, too, is the, the SEC – and this is the interesting part of the transfer portal. The SEC rule that says if you're going to transfer from one SEC school to another, you got to be in the portal in February. Mm-hmm. Well, that changes the whole narrative of spring practice because now you got a choice, okay? Let's look at Brock Vandergriff from Georgia, for example. Okay, he has he's sitting there and he's got a choice. Do I want to stay and compete for the job? knowing that if I don't win it, I can't go to another SEC school. Mm-hmm. Or do I go to Auburn, which he could have gone to. Auburn would have taken him in a heartbeat in January. Mm-hmm. Do I go to Auburn and then, as a Georgia kid at the age of 27, wonder what would have been mm-hmm. if I'd stayed? Really puts the athlete in a really precarious position if you want to stay in the South and play in the SEC. Because then you got to make a decision. Do I stay and compete? knowing that if I lose the job, I've lost the conference if I leave, or I'm going to have to stick it out and wait and see and and earn my spot, or do I leave and go to greener pastures and wonder about what would have happened if I stayed at the school that I originally wanted to play for? Because of that league rule, and I'm not saying it's a bad rule because it it saves cherry picking from one school to another in spring practice, but uh, because of that rule – I think that slows some of the SEC transfer stuff down. That's why you haven't seen a ton of guys from the league, I don't think, go into the portal and in, in after spring practices are over. There have been some, but there haven't been a mass exodus in this conference. Because you're probably losing money. Like if you're losing, leaving the SEC and you're going down, like the NIL money, like it's just you're you're costing yourself some money there, um, some opportunity. I, I The Georgia thing is funny to me because did you watch Brock Vandergriff on with Aaron Murray, uh, his podcast a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I saw bits and pieces yeah. of it. He doesn't – I just think there are – anyone who's trying to replicate in Tennessee fans who are kind of uh, flustered about Taven Jackson uh, moving on after a year, and it's like the opportunity was right there. If Joe Mellon goes on, it's like, well, it's a little bit different. Like every I, – look, I, I have my reservations about uh, Taven playing with Walt Bell and his, uh, an Indiana team that was really, really bad last year, and – it, let's just go ahead and say it's not the Josh Heupel offense that he is transferring to nope. um, at IU. So I look, I root for the kid, hope it works out, but I have my doubts uh, up there in Hoosier country. But that being said, Brock Vandergriff could have gone that kind of route, like taking a chance, like you said, Auburn. That's not as big of a flyer, uh, as big of a, uh, a, a what if you go join up with Hugh Freeze based on his track record at this point producing quarterbacks. But I they just seem like they're at peace. Like all of them are just weirdly at peace with Georgia, the quarterback room. It's a lot of kumbaya there that I just don't think you're going to be able to replicate when I'm watching this. I'm like, it's just different. Like this is going to be a one-time thing of three uber talented guys just totally being fine with who's starting this time. It's like your turns now. And then it'll be my turn. Like Brock Vandergriff is just trying to fish with uh, Mike Bobo for a weekend. Like that's what I got out of that where he's just, He's good. He's he's in no rush. He's fine. Uh, he's when it happens, it happens. But that man is just as happy fishing and working and uh, just working with some of the best um, in Athens. And we'll yeah, see what and, happens. It's and just I, different. And I, it is, and I think you have too. You, you've got some kids on that roster that are lifelong Georgia fans. Yeah, like they grew up, and the dream was to play for Georgia. And I just don't think that some of those guys are like, you know, I don't want to have any regrets by by giving up. On, on the dream. Yeah. 
you know, and, and as a result of that, you know, that they're, they're sticking it out. You know, George is a fascinating study. Uh, Kirby Smart's done a great job there, and I know that's not what this podcast is about, but I'm still baffled by the fact that all those Georgia kids were convinced that nobody picked him to be any good last year. You well, know, who picked the dogs I mean, to be good last year? Did you yeah, I mean, that you know, coming? Like, you know, everybody's like, well, they picked us to seven. Nobody picked you to win seven games. Mm-hmm. Nobody said you weren't going to the playoffs. Nobody said you weren't going to win the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were picked all that. But somehow Kirby Smart gets all those guys in a room. And by the time they, they get to the end of fall camp and they go to their first game, they're convinced that everybody in the world thinks they're a, a four and seven football team or something. And it's like, mm-hmm. huh? I mean, do you guys? I mean, do you take their phones? Do you do you do you strip them of every piece of electronic device so they can't read all the progn- You know, all the predictions that they're going to be. You know, back in the playoffs and a chance to win again. I mean, I, I give Kirby Smart credit. I mean, he kept that team really, really hungry and and ready to play. We'll see if he can pull it off again. Uh, but but I think it's pretty remarkable that he convinced all those guys how bad they were and how bad the national people thought they were going to be, which is the furthest thing from the truth. The biggest summer is, for Tennessee is going to be who? Who do you have right now circled that you're like, I they need this player to have a humongous summer leading into fall camp? I think it's got to be one of those tackles on the right side. Gerald Mims, hmm. um, you know, J.J. Crawford now. It's hard for a tackle necessarily to have a great summer because you're not in pads, but but somebody's got to be all in and say, hey, I'm a right tackle, and I'm totally comfortable with being the right tackle. You know, Darnell Wright's willingness to do that a year ago changed the complexion of that football team mm-hmm. um, because they put somebody over there, and he was, you know, he was plenty talented, and he was sacrificing by moving from left to right to make sure that they were getting their best five on the field, and he thrived which guy's going to do – is there a guy who's going to do that this year? Is that Mincy? Is that Crawford? Um, neither one of those guys are Darnell Wright, but does one guy really embrace being a right tackle and, and run with that job? Do all the little things they need to do to get their footwork down and and embrace that part? I know Darnell Wright's had a conversation with all of them hmm. about, hey, it's not a bad thing. It's not going to kill you by being labeled a right tackle as opposed to a left tackle. Just go ball. And um, so, so who does that? I, I think is is question number one. Um, and then question number two for me is where's a where's a guy like Dante Thornton and, and learning this offense? Hmm. And he was limited a good bit in spring practice. Can he get healthy? And where is he in understanding all the offense, the pace of the offense, and the chemistry with, with Joe Milton? Uh, because I think Dante Thornton's very important to this offense's success, whether he's playing slot or whether he's playing some on the outside. I think you've got to have Dante Thornton to, to be a real part a real part of this. Now, Ramel Keaton's going to start. He's not going away because every time they throw him the ball, he catches it. You know, he's not the prettiest, sexiest. He doesn't wow you with anything that he does other than he catches everything thrown his way in every critical situation. So you're going to play. And I think Brew McCoy's got a chance to have a huge year. Uh, the question is, is Thornton inside, outside, or both? And, and how much does he help? So I, I'm – I'm really curious to see what Dante Thornton looks like. Well, it kind of speaks to what you were saying about Squirrel, right? Where Squirrel just, we'll see if he can, like, if you want to conserve Squirrel in the slot, then you're going to need to rotate him and Dante Thornton, maybe. I just have a hard time seeing Squirrel playing, you know, 70 snaps a game for Mm -hmm. 12 weeks, you know? I mean, and and look, he's tough as nails. He's a hard-nosed, tough kid, but he's also 170 pounds. Mm -hmm. 
you know, 170, you can be the toughest guy in the world. You're still 170 pounds. Um, so how does he physically hold up in a grind situation where you're talking about, you know, all year long getting pounded on? Uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I think that slot position is always going to put up huge numbers. I think Squirrel plays very different than Jalen. As a result of that, he's probably going to get hit more than Jalen because if you're playing him in the slot, you're going to play more like Bayless Jones, right? He's a, you know, he's a jitterbug in the phone booth. He's hard to mm-hmm. catch in the phone booth, right? But sometimes you get caught in the phone booth and you mm-hmm. get popped. So how, do, how does he handle those? Because you're not just going to run, you know, seam patterns and you're not just going to run takeoff stuff with him. You're going to throw him bubbles and you're going to throw him some some squares, ends, and, and some short. Uh, you know, some short routes and let him go to work that way. And as a result of that, he may get popped from time to time. So how does he physically, um, how does he physically hold up throughout the grind of the season? I don't want people to say I'm thinking he's frail and can't. I just, mm. I look at that body type and go, man, that's a lot of pounding in this league. Cause this is a big boy league here. How do you hold up for 12 games? What's the biggest thing you've heard from recruits this cycle that differs from last, last year's cycle? identity um, hmm. on defense. They, they know what they want to do defensively. They, they understand it. They see what Tennessee's doing defensively. Um, so a linebacker understands how he would be used. Defensive linemen understand the way that they want to play vertical up the field, you know, all of that. And then Austin's talked about this on, on multiple VolQuest podcasts. I mean, there's a cool factor with Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You know, scoring points is cool. Right. They, they look cool. They're aggressive. Uh, they throw it. They score. Um, they wear different uniforms. They mix things up. There's a light show. I mean, there's a cool factor and you, you're not cool if you don't win. Right. Mm. I mean, there's not a lot of cool guys in school that don't have a girl on their arm. Right. I mean, mm. it's one of those deals where, you know, what what's your cool factor? And right now, Tennessee's a cool school. And as a result, they have more high-profile guys listening to them and coming to campus to see it. You still got to close, and we'll see what happens there. But um, they got a bit of a cool it factor going with them right now. And then biggest thing defensively is I think is you know what they want to be. And clearly offensively, you know what they are. The one thing they have to sell offensively that they have to convince kids of is at the running back position. Because the, all the highlights you see aren't running back runs. Mm-hmm. Hey, the receiver's 20 yards wide open. Hey, they've thrown another long touchdown pass. Hey, you know, this receiver's got 1,000 yards. Hey, this, you know, they don't show and talk a lot about the runs. They actually run it more than they throw it in this mm-hmm. offense. And I've had more running backs go, yeah, I didn't know that until I sat down and really started talking to them, you know, and they explained it to me because the perception of this offense is that it's pass, pass, pass all the time. Yeah. For sure. I also just don't worry about the running back position. Like Tennessee fans who get really up in arms about the five-star running backs. I'm like, that's just the least of my concerns. Not a, not a concern for me. You know, with, with there's two, and it's interesting. I mean, if you've got a quarterback who can play, yeah. it changes your dynamic of everything. Um, having watched, and this is no, no offense to, to Cedric Tillman, but if anybody said that, man, I knew Cedric Tillman was going to be a thousand yard receiver. He was, no, you didn't. I mean, Look, one catch against Texas A&M in the COVID <laughs> year does not equate to him taking off. I'm not saying he wasn't a good athlete, but, I mean, he was a guy when they brought him on the field, he blocked. Mm. And that's what everybody knew about him. Uh, but to, to get him to perform the way he did, to see what they did with Valus, you know, in one season, to see where Jalen Hyatt was when he decided that, hey, I'm going to focus on football because I can succeed in this offense, bam, you're a Bolitnikoff award winner. 
Squirrel White's a freshman. He's still getting open over people. We just mentioned Ramel Keaton, who people have tried to recruit over since he's been here, and yet he's still making plays. I don't worry about receivers. Mm-hmm. And in the world where we're in in college football with the way of spread offenses, it's a little bit like the NFL. You know, it's an, it's it's a rarity this year that you had two guys take it in the first round of the draft, you know, who were running backs. And I think the Lions took a reach on Gibbs. I'm not saying he's not a first-round pick, but I don't know that he's that high of a first-round pick. Uh, but you can find such great value in those backs later in the NFL draft. You can find great value in a high school back who's not a, quote, five-star, you know, mm. who's not the number one all-purpose back and all those types of things. I mean, Cam Selden wasn't even rated as a running back coming out of high school. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm with you. I, I don't think – look, it's about quarterback and offensive line. If you got that, then – you're going to be able to find – and this offense is going to get people open. If you can protect the quarterback long enough, and if you spread them out the way they're spreading them out, there's always going to be some run lanes there. That's why Josh Heupel's always been able to run the football. You just sold me on the under for Tennessee this year with that last little bit. If you, as long as you got a good offensive line that you trust and a quarterback that you trust, then you're good to go. Brent, I think you just pushed me back on the under right now, the nine and <laughs> well, a half. Well, we'll we'll see what this offensive – I mean, look, Cooper Mays has got to stay healthy. Put him in mm-hmm. bubble wrap till you get to game one. <laughs> You know, he doesn't have to do anything. He knows what he's doing. you got to get somebody ready behind him just in case there's an ankle sprain or something goofy that happens. Um, They're going to miss Jerome Carvin more than anybody thinks just because of the snaps and the durability. So what do you find there? Um, And then the other question is how do you help yourself with those – with those tackles? How do you you help them out? You know, is it do do you leave a back in for pass protection, or is that back now the safety valve that you can dump it out to? And so your your compromise for a free blitzer off the edge is you get a swing pass to the running back. We haven't seen a ton of that in Josh Heupel's offense since he's been at Tennessee. He's thrown mm-hmm. his backs before, you know, when he was at Missouri and Central Florida, but he hasn't had to do that. In part, they've been able to protect well enough, and two. Hendon Hooker's been able to get him out of a lot of trouble, a lot of Houdini acts. Can Joe do that? If that's not Joe's thing in terms of, you know, escapability, I think Joe can run, design runs, but how much escapability does he have? Then what's the help for Joe? Where's the answer in, in, you know, avoiding the sacks? Is that a check down or do you leave backs and tight ends in to help block? Those are some interesting wrinkles I think that will be fun to watch with this offense this year to see how it tweaks because there's a lot of variables within the system, even though the system is the system, they can manage it and run it in different ways. And, and how they run it this year is going to be really fascinating without Hendon Hooker, you know, back there as the quarterback. I'm workshopping this. I'm, I'm actually writing this right now, but something that I thought about and like, I, there are certain things where it's like Joe running out of bounds, fourth down against Ole Miss that are just like ingrained in my mind until uh, just seeing uh, Joe in tight, big games. Because like the Vanderbilt games, just kind of a wash. Like that was great. But it, look, in the rain, Vanderbilt, like it, there were a lot of reasons that Tennessee blew up Vanderbilt that night. Um, Clemson, month to prepare, very different. Guys opting out. Like it was just different, different thing uh, entirely. Good performance. It was a lot of three and outs that people forget if you go back through that game table, the way people talk about the Joe Milton game and against Clemson, I'm like, I don't know if we were watching the same game. He was fine. <laughs> like Joe Milton was fine. 
Um, he had the big plays, but like there were a lot of three and outs that some, took some bad sacks that I'm like, oh, he doesn't have that. Hit. It kind of speaks to your escapability thing where it's like Hendon would not have taken a lot of those sacks. And there are a lot of quick three and outs that kind of scared me. Um, that being said, we taught like it's not a it's not a big thing to say that like Nico's obviously going to be casting a big shadow for Joe uh, right out of the gate in Nashville against Virginia. But what I look around and you just go through, like you obviously were here for Peyton. Todd Helton goes down early. Peyton comes through at what, seven and one after he took over as starter. You go back through Trevor Lawrence, took over for Kelly Bryant. Things went pretty well there. Uh, another five star. It, it, went, it went pretty well. Right. You go through Jalen Hurts, started as a true freshman. Lamar Jackson started as a true freshman. I was going through just so many different dudes. The thing in the NFL now, too. Everyone wants to do the Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes bridge thing. Like that's what every team wants to do. Like it sounds great in theory, but then you read every piece, you read every quarterback coach and you see how these kids are brought up and like how ready and how much time they spend on learning the quarterback position. Every story is how much uh, the quarterback position has just gotten easier for a lot of guys that these systems have made it so much easier that when we say that, it's just something that you say, it's a, it's like a sports cliche that we just throw out that you're like, yeah, you just sit. Like, it's just common knowledge that obviously you sit the, the freshman quarterback, the true freshman. He's not ready. People just say he's not ready. I don't know if that's true. And I don't know. And this is something that I think Hypel has an option this year. And Brent, this is just me workshopping. And you can tell me if I'm an absolute idiot here. But I've been thinking about this all offseason. I've pushed back against the narrative that you can you should just do that you should just go straight to joe and like let nico sit for a year and it'll be beneficial quarterbacks learn by playing like that's an important thing it, like you need to play you nico needs to experience sec defenses sooner rather than later that will help him in the long run but with every like with what you've seen from the fan base when you interact with folks when you talk to people around the program when you talk to other analysts and the writers if you did a VolQuest straw poll right now, I I suspect that the most common record guess for next year is nine and three. Like that's probably if I had to do a straw poll for probably. next year. That's probably right. And if you do that, you're like, could Nico go nine and three? Could Nico get his lumps in? Could Nico do enough to get you to nine and three and get a bunch of experience? Because you're playing for 2024 with a lot more talent, a lot more depth. And that's when the, t- the, 14 playoff goes to 12 teams you get three years potentially of a heisman type quarterback you get the trevor lawrence type deal and you don't waste your time and do the what if of like we'll just do this clean where we have one heisman quarterback and then we'll do this heisman quarterback and then we'll do this one and just bet on just hitting it over and over again it's silly to me like i think if you if nico is close to joe this summer like if it's like a toss-up I don't see the the value in not starting Nico right away and just letting him go because if Nico's going to be good, he's going to be good against Virginia. He's going to be good early on and he's going to be good the rest of the way. If Nico doesn't work, Nico's not going to work. It, it doesn't matter if he sits four games in the regular season to start off and Joe gets hurt or something or isn't playing well. I think it's silly that we just have this, this thought that it's always good for these guys to sit. I think if he's going to be good, he's going to be good. Look at you. I mean, you're you're packing Joe Milton's bags. You're shipping <laughs> him out of town right now. I mean, I don't. I mean, I mean you're putting a for sale sign or a full rent <laughs> sign in his apartment right now. 
You've taken his parking sticker. You took his seat at the lunch table. I mean, you're just you're just stripping him out of everything. Listen, I, I get I get what you're saying. I mean, I do. Uh, all right, and, and you know, from it's the, the comparison to the NFL part is tough because there's so much money involved in the investment with with the NFL rookie quarterbacks that you're sitting there like like the Colts. They're playing Anthony Richardson. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean. From day one, C.J. Shrout's the starter in Houston from day one because they've got so much invested in those guys financially. There is no sitting and, and watching and learning. Now, Will Levis may be a different situation in Tennessee because they don't have as much money invested and tied up in him at this point. So mm-hmm. you don't feel the pressure to do those types of things. Remember this about Peyton Manning. He went 7-1. and one. He won a 10-9 game in his first start against Washington State. Mm. They scored on a end-around punt return for their lone touchdown. And if there had been replay, their field goal drive probably never happens because he threw a pick that was ruled incomplete. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was 7 of 12 that day, throwing the ball maybe, um, 7 of 14 for less than 100 yards or maybe 105 yards. I mean, you get through and you're like, oh, man, he's not ready. Now mm. – to your point, he played, started to get a feel for it. It became his, mm-hmm. right? And you start to he starts to take off. Now he's different. I'm not sure anybody's ready to put a, a gold jacket and a bronze statue in Canton, Ohio, for, for you know for Nico or anybody else at this point. Peyton was different than anybody I've ever seen from a preparation standpoint. Um, what you're gonna do is you're gonna start Joe. He's earned it. Um, Nico's I thought this is an play. open competition, Brent. I thought this is an open okay. quarterback competition. Nico, Nico's going to play, you know, mm-hmm. early. You know, you're going to get his feet wet. He's got the four games to redshirt. Mm-hmm. And then if, if if Joe doesn't perform well, and you think Nico's ready, you, you go play to win football games. You mm-hmm. know, and and that's that's my thing with Joe. Everybody's. I had somebody come up to me and listen to the podcast. Right, man, you just don't like Joe, do you? I'm like, no, I love Joe. Mm-hmm. I got no problem with Joe. Well, you're pretty hard on him. No, I, I'm not. What I'm saying is with, with Joe is Joe still got to show it week in, week out. And I, I'm with you. I'm not taking anything away from the Clemson performance, okay? The MVP of that game for Tennessee was Aaron Beasley. Yep. It should have been Aaron Beasley and not Joe Milton. But to Joe Milton's credit, he didn't overthrow Ramel Keaton. He didn't mm-hmm. overthrow Squirrel White on the two deep balls, which what we what have we said, you know, since – the first time we saw Joe Milton play pick game form is like, <laughs> oh geez, he can't he can't hit the deep ball. Mm. He made those throws. Credit to him. Um, and now it's can he go and do everything he needs to do week in and 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 week out and, and prove it. The other thing too is, I mean, where, how where is Nico? This, this is a fascinating time. This is always, I think, an interesting thing for young quarterbacks, mm-hmm. particularly guys who are not handed something. Okay, how hard do you work to get better? Okay, because let's face it. I mean, Nico's life is, you know, he's played volleyball in the summer and he's done seven-on-seven stuff. I'm not saying he hadn't thrown the football, but, like, how much does he sit down and really watch tape and really dove into something and really focused a ton on his fundamentals all the time and all those? I mean, this is a different deal for Nico than he's ever been through. Mm-hmm. Okay. How, how does he go about that? Um, how, how does he, how much does he progress? How much does he grow with his, with his own game? The same way, the same way could be said for Joe this summer. 
Because remember, a year ago, he's rooming with Hendon Hooker, mm. who's in the complex six, seven days a week. Okay, well, if you're Joe Milton and you're rooming with Hendon, how many times are you going to go, go ahead, Hendon, take off to the complex. I'm going to kick my feet up here and, and hang out at the house. Or do you feel like I got to get in the car and go with him and throw, mm. throw with the receivers? You don't have that guy in your room now. You're the guy who has to be that self-starter. Does he put in all the work that he needs to put in? Um, so we'll see. Again, I, Joe's going to start in Nashville, um, and, and we'll see how he plays. If he doesn't play well enough, then, yeah, I mean, you're going to play to win the game if you think Nico's ready to play. The question is, do you think Nico's ready? Uh, Peyton was supposed to redshirt <clears throat> and would have redshirted had Jerry Colquitt not gotten hurt. Mm. That's the part that a lot of people men are like, oh, he replaced Todd Helton. Well, Todd, I mean, Todd was just – he was a bridge gap guy. Todd mm. was just supposed to be the guy who handles mop-up duty, and then Jerry got towards ACL in the seventh play at UCLA, and it changed everything. I mean, Peyton was not supposed to play in Pasadena, California. That was not the plan. The plan was for him. And back then, you couldn't play in four games and still redshirt. Mm. The plan was for him to redshirt. That whole season got wrecked due to injury. Um and then obviously we know what it brought about for the next three years it was pretty good. He's pretty good. Um, He's right there. You know, so we'll see. We'll we'll see where where Nico's at, how much Nico works this summer, and, and where he puts himself in in fall camp. He he had moments in the spring that were really good. He had moments where he was a freshman. Mm. Um, when he gets on the field, he'll have moments where it's pretty good, and he'll have moments where he's a freshman. Um, everybody forgets Hendon Hooker's leading Tennessee for a potential game tying or game leading score against Pittsburgh, mm. you know, and complete misread and throws to the safety in the middle of the field for an interception, mm-hmm. you know, cause he was still learning the offense, you know, and he made a huge jump between year one and year two, and he got better throughout his first year in the system. So there's growing pains. There are going to be growing pains for both of them and we'll see how it plays itself out. I just, I know Josh Heupel, he's going to win. He's going to do everything he can to win. And whoever that means his quarterback's going to be is, who his quarterback's going to be. He's not worried about that. Didn't he start Sam Bradford as a true freshman at Oklahoma? He did. Best option, you know? I mean, and I think that's what you're, you know, I think the feeling right now is that because he's three years in the system, mm-hmm. he started multiple games, your best option is is Joe Milton. If Joe Milton starts, it's going to be because Joe Milton performs, outperforms Nico in, in fall camp. That's the thing people forget. I've had this question asked a lot, like how in the world did, did, did Joe start over Hendon Hooker? Like, mm. what was that? Joe was better in fall camp because Hendon was too tentative. When mm. Hendon started ripping it and turning it loose, then all of a sudden Hendon became a different player. Now, he didn't do that until he was forced in the game, you know, mm. and played. So it goes back to your question sometimes, or your point. Sometimes you just got to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and look, so Josh Heupel, he played Drew Locke as a freshman. Yeah. He doesn't have any problem playing a freshman. His his system can be user-friendly for a freshman. They can make that work. They call a bunch of stuff at the line for him and can do all those things to help him out. Um, you know, it's a matter about who can move the football the best and who gives you the best chance to win. Um, right now, I think the belief is that's Joe Milton, and that's where they'll start, and we'll see where they are in middle of September, late September, depending on how Joe Milton plays. You know, I mean, you know, maybe you have to unpack his suitcase. I don't know. It depends on how he plays. I would love to be wrong. Like, that's the one I tell people where I'm like, he seems like such a nice guy and I want to be wrong on this. He stuck around and his just friendship with Hendon was super cool last year. Like, I want to be wrong about this, Brent. It's just 
it's sitting deep within me is that it's going to be Nico at some point. Here's the other thing to remember. And and again, you don't want to put a curse on anything or or, or put the hex on anything. I mean, fair or not fair. He's had a hard time staying healthy. Yeah. He's never played through a season. So and this line might uh, not be good. Yeah. I mean, you, you better, you better have multiple quarterbacks ready because you know, where, where is he from a durability standpoint? Now I think it's smart on his part to lose 10 pounds be more elusive, you know, and, and go. Um, but again, I mean, he's had a couple of freak injuries, you know, the wrist injury, and then he had the ankle injury at Tennessee that, that cost him the job there and he didn't get it back. So, you know, can he stay healthy? Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to get hit in fall camp. How does he handle getting popped and, and those types of things? And you better have a guy ready if you're going to run the quarterback some, because you just never know, you know, when you're, when you're going to get a guy banged up a little bit, you know, the, the one thing they had with Hendon was the, the the durability factor. Mm-hmm. I'm still, I'm still baffled. Maybe the toughest performance, and they didn't, they didn't win the game. Now they scared him in heading into the fourth quarter, but, but I'm still surprised he played at Alabama that first year he was here. Hmm. So we but, lost the fourteenth, right? Well, it's the game before where he got rocked. I thought he lost old, a bunch of teeth in the Alabama game. He did, but he also yeah. the game before in the old Miss against old Miss. Uh-huh. He got he got hit, got popped really hard. Remember, Joe's in the game at the yeah. end because he's he's it looks like he's hurt his shoulder. Yeah. And I mean, not only did he play, but like he gutted through practice. I mean, he did mm. more the first part of the week than anybody anticipated. And not only did he play at Alabama, he took licks, you know, it's like his offensive line wasn't real good. But here was Tennessee with a chance, you know, late in the second half and then late in the third quarter to make that game really interesting. That got away from them, you know, mm. for the pick, and they couldn't get a stop on defense. But um, coming out of that Ole Miss loss, I thought, okay, you know, we're back to Joe Milton who just ran out of bounds and because Hennon Hooker's going to be out for a while. Hennon's tough, mm. super, super tough. I mean, you know, he didn't get hurt. He didn't hurt his knee because, you know, he got popped. That was just a, a freak open field thing. But, I mean, he's tough. He took a lot of big shots and bounced right back up you know, the, the whole time he was here. So um, we'll see how the quarterbacks hold up this year. Last Tennessee thing, we'll get out of here. If the Vols don't land one of uh, Jaden Matthews and Wingle, or Wingle, Wingo, would fans be right, be in the right to be kind of nervous about where Tennessee is at uh, in terms of just elite, elite recruiting? No, no, I don't, okay. I don't think so. I mean, Remember, you got the NIL stuff factoring in there. Ryan Wingo, um, that'll be a that'll be an interesting recruitment all the way through. His brother Ronnie Wingo Jr., who played at Old or played at Arkansas, mm. um, had a really bizarre recruitment, and, and not not in a bad way. Not like he was like shady or anything, but like he was kind of all over the map with schools. And this school was leading, and then this school was out, and then this school who was out is now leading. He was just kind of all over the place. And, and I think you're seeing a little bit of that with Ryan, right? It's been Tennessee, Tennessee, all this talk about Tennessee. Now you're hearing about other schools, you know, kind of what's going on there. Uh, we'll see what the NIL factor is, you know, w- w- with that. Um, you know, J.J. Harrell, who they have committed, um, that's going to – I've always – look, I mean, he, he lives he lives a stone's throw from Oxford, Mississippi. If, if anybody thinks Ole Miss is going away in that recruitment, they're – they're crazy. Um, they're just not going to go away. And so Tennessee will have to go to the finish line with that one. Uh, I think Mike Matthews is elite from down in Parkview, Georgia. That's where I went to high school. 
you're gonna have to beat out nice school by the way i've been i've been to Thank park school home of the uh, jungle jeff Francoeur, a lot of great athletes coming through yeah, had a, lot had a lot of great athletes. Matt olsen first baseman yeah. yeah a lot of good people came out of park view right yeah what's the, what's the mascot the panthers the panthers right orange they guns orange and they've leaned in way i literally have the helmet right here like the, the orange battle and of blue Fire. Orange and blue, yeah. Yeah. But they yeah, used to just be orange and white, and they've really leaned into the blue, and I can't stand it. Like, the blue pants with the orange, like, the uniforms are terrible. Was, I was, told that, the was that to get away from the Clemson vibe? Maybe, but they have an orange checkerboard, like, in the in the end zone. They have the Tennessee checkerboard, and they have, like, the Clemson paw print. So they're just, they got a lot, they got a lot going on there. They but, do have a lot going on there. They uh, Tennessee recruited, the previous staff recruited a running back from there. So went Yes, by. Uh, Another chase, right? Um, who went to uh, Miami? I don't, yeah, he did go to Miami. I don't remember his name, but anyway, yeah. he, he was. Um, I went by that school. Uh, mm. I, I digress there. I think Mike Matthews is is another one of those really good athletes to come out of. Mm. They'll have a, I mean, he, he can go anywhere in the country. You know, Georgia's calling, Alabama's calling, Tennessee. I think Tennessee's done a good job with him. Um, but that's going to be a hard get, right? I mean, Parkview, I mean, not, not probably not a lot of Tennessee orange rolling through there. You know, there's probably a few fans. I'm doing what I can. I have, I have the coach's number. I, I mean, I, I know. I mean, you're probably, I mean, you're probably yeah. not swinging Mike Matthews. You know, I mean, yeah. maybe you are. I mean, maybe I'm not giving you enough credit. I mean, you are going to. I don't shoot. know if I'm allowed you're to do that. Joe Milton out of town. So I mean, well, hold on. Well, I'm not doing. I'm not giving you enough credit for for your. For I'm going to get ripped for that do. take. I'm going to get ripped for the Milton. That's stuff. not what you said. Nobody should yeah. rip you with that. I understand the point you're making. I was just having some fun with you, but, um, you know, I, I think that. Um, to answer your question, no, I don't think anybody should panic um, with that because I think it's going to be hard. And again, yeah. I don't think you panic at that position because of the the fact that so many of those guys you're having success with so many different guys. And and I think a guy that not a lot of people are not a lot, some people are not talking about right now that I think is just important is Amari Jefferson from Baylor, that mm. Chattanooga. I think Amari Jefferson's really good. Is he as polished as some of those other guys? Probably not, but I think he's really super talented. And so, um, no, I mean, you're looking for a couple of receivers. It's not a panic if you don't go big time and, and sweep there at that um, at that spot because again, you've made a lot of you've made a lot of receivers look really good in two years here. And I don't think there's anything to suggest this system is not going to produce some receivers. Now they're going to be Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman and, you know, secondary draft picks and the NFL draft every year. I mean, probably not that, but again, I, I look at what you're doing with squirrel white in year one, what you did with Ramel Keaton, where you're at. It's like, okay, you, you can, you can play the position. I mean, you're, like, you're going to be able to get some people open. I think the bigger thing is, is offensive tackles. And, and yeah. you know, I think in, in college football recruiting with the NIL factor right now, It'll be a lot like the NFL draft, a lot like NFL free agency. Who's getting the money? It's not offensive guards. It's not, you know, a ton of interior. Unless you're elite, it's not a ton of interior defensive linemen. Mm -hmm. It's guys who can get to the quarterback off the edge. It's guys who can protect the quarterback on the edge. And it's quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's where everybody's priority is going to be until there's some kind of parameters placed on NIL. They're going to follow a lot of that a lot of that NFL model. And, and I think that's something that high school kids are going to have a hard time adjusting to, mm. you know, and college kids are going to have a hard time adjusting to that. Not everybody's pay is equal across the board. 
Mm -hmm. you know, and how do you handle that in locker rooms, you know, as part of the, well, if you want to be an NFL player, this is how you prepare. Like this is it. Management is what that's, you know, and and I think it's a learning curve. It's a learning curve for all people involved. And um, it's not something that you just wave a magic wand and say, okay, this is how it is. Everybody, everybody understands that, right? Cause you're Mm going to have jealousies and, you're going to have all those things and, and the market's got to shift and swing and that pendulum's got to come back to a middle ground somewhere in the middle because um, it's not monopoly money. It's not an mm. endless supply of cash. You know what I mean? You're not it just, that's just not how it works. Um, so we'll see what it looks like over time. I think that's the next one of the next big challenge or is the biggest challenge in, in college athletics is, is how do you manage that? And um you know, the jealousies that they come with, with a lot of those things. And, um, you know, where are some of these other opportunities going to come about for some guys out there? It's going to be pretty interesting. And, you know, I, uh, I would like for more Trey Smith to be born in the state of Tennessee. That'd be nice. Like just more five-star tackles being born here. That would be super helpful. Um, so you don't have to be so heavily involved in the NIL game for these tackles, like just someone born, like, What's like Ollie Lane over there at Gibbs, like at the guard spot? That's nice, but like we need some sort of—I uh, don't know what school it needs to be—but we need you to just be like the the incubator for right. future Tennessee offensive tackles. Like the, whatever you got to do. Yeah, the problem is everybody in the country is looking for the same guy. Yeah, and there's just not—I'm not saying there's not offensive tackles out there, but you know there's going to be a group of five, seven elite offensive tackles every year. And those guys are going to have every offer in the country to be able mm-hmm. to go where they want to go. And um, you're going to battle geography. You're not just going to be able to outbid everybody. You're going to be out. You're going to deal with, um, again, geography, proximity, conference they want to play in, relationship with a coach. You know, because here's the thing. At some point in time, if you're if all your money is within the realm of something, there's got to mm-hmm. be a, a difference maker somewhere. Right. I mean, Mm-hmm. We live that way in our jobs, right? If we can make the same money at multiple jobs or within the same ballpark, aren't we taking the job that we think is the best place to work for, the best mm-hmm. place to work at, or the thing we'll enjoy the most? Sure. So you got to you got to continue to recruit like you used to recruit and develop those relationships, and um, then you factor in the NHL stuff as well. I'm telling you, it's a crazy crazy challenging time. Now you're throwing in the fact that kids can take unlimited official visits, you know, instead of five, they can take 12, they can take 14 or they can do whatever they want to do. Um, which is great for the kids, makes it harder for coaches. Um, you know, cause you're sitting there trying to schedule, okay, we want to be the last visit. The last of his five. Oh, well he can take 10 more if he wants to, um, you know, so, it's it's not an easy time now look they're all getting paid a lot of money so let's don't feel too sorry for all these coaches out there right but uh they they got a lot of challenges in front of them and roster management is at the top of that challenge list right now uh you know what i'm gonna ask you as we wrap up here sure what what's up with the gibbs football stadium how are we looking on (laughs) may 11th where where is the construction at at the moment here is uh it's amazing what happens when a contractor gets fined every day Oh, it's amazing what they can get done. So um, Gibbs High School played home soccer games this spring. Mm -hmm. Um, They had home track meet. Okay. And um, on Thursday, May the 11th, as we record this uh, in the evening time, 
earlier this evening, they had their spring game scrimmage against the Grizzly or the Grizzlies from Granger County. Uh-huh. Um, and there were fans on both sides of the field in the new stadium. So um, when they went back to the construction company and said, okay, you got two things. One, you can be fired. Mm. Okay. And you're done. Or what's your plan? Well, we can get it done by X date. Well, you're going to get fined a set dollar figure every day until that date. You know, until you hit your, if you hit the deadline, you got to pay a fine up until that deadline. If you're over that deadline and we'll readjust your fine, but you're going to get it done. And, and magically they, they, they just got a whole heck of a lot of stuff done in a hurry. It, It was pretty remarkable. I mean, it's amazing what happens when, when money talks that way. So I, I was really happy for the soccer kids that, that mm. they'd gone through a COVID year. They had lost the previous spring uh, last year. They were in jeopardy of losing – a senior was in jeopardy of losing three years at home in, mm. in the whole game. And um, so I'm happy for those kids that they did not lose three years of their high school career playing on the home field. They got to play their senior year there. And um, – it was a learning experience for a lot of people in project management. I can promise. I can promise you that. So, but it's complete. Um, I drove by there. To, I drove by there tonight to going to my daughter's concert. There's a couple of small dumpsters that have not been removed yet, but all uh-huh. the wrought iron fencing is up, and um, everything looks like it's supposed to. It's concrete. The grass and in, in the on the sides is up, and uh, it, it it looks like a it looks like a football field. The football stadium is supposed to look so. So they're going to be playing home games. They're back. They're play home games. They're back. You know, um, they're back. I guess I'll go watch one and see what it looks like. Uh, they flipped it to the other side. You know, the home fans are not going to be in the sun. I never missed the sun as much as I did last year. We were all mm. excited because hey, they're going to take the home crowd out of the sun. And then when you're traveling all over East Tennessee to play a home football game, you're like, you know what? I got no problem putting my hand up here for the first quarter and a half of a game to mm-hmm. watch my kid play in the sunshine. I'd love for that to happen. But, hey, makes us all tougher. Um, going through a little adversity made made that team a lot of fun last year. And um, as bad as the gnashing of the teeth were, thankfully they got it finished. So we don't have that topic anymore. I can't, I can't mm-hmm. tweet out about, you know, real life-size Lego game playing that was being mm. done over there where you put stuff together and took it apart and put it back together and demolished it and built it again. There's nothing left for them to build. Everything's done at this point. We'll find you something, Brent. <laughs> you're saying I could find something to complain about? Is that what you're <laughs> suggesting? I think there might be something. I think we can figure something out, Brent. Uh, there's there's always going to be something to... You can always find something to complain about, but we're not going to complain. We're um, like I said, we're looking forward to seeing what this Tennessee football team gets done this summer, what they look like this fall, and you know, I hope Make everybody. Week one. I, well, I hope everybody enjoyed last year. Yeah, you know, um, if you're old enough, and, and you should, you know, most people are to go through, you know, what it's gone, what you've gone through the last decade and a half. There's a greater, should be a greater appreciation for having some success. I think in the nineties, a lot of us were like, you know, just assume because there were so many games that you went out there and you're like, okay, you're three touchdowns better than them because mm-hmm. the league wasn't as good. It wasn't as challenging. Uh, it was all about one game in a season and you didn't appreciate what you were accomplishing along the way. Um, you know, I'm not sure in baseball last year, as much euphoria as there was, I'm not sure how much appreciation there really was for what that team accomplished last year, even though they didn't get to, you know, to the college world series. So 
Um, as I get a little older and get a little more reflective in life, you appreciate um, you appreciate seeing good. And last year was a whole lot of fun. I think this year is going to be fun. It'll just be a different team. Um, you know, my son swears that they're going to be as good as they were last year, just to be a different type team, that their record's going to be right where they were last year because they're going to be better on defense. Um, we'll see. I mean, I think, they can, I think they've got a chance to be pretty good, but they are going to be different. Um, they're not going to score – 50 points every game like they did a year ago, it seems like. But um, I think it'll be a fun, interesting team that will get better as the year goes along. And I think those are a lot of fun. Those team, those types of teams are a lot of fun to cover. There you go. Uh, Brent, thank you so much for making the time. It's always fun talking Tennessee ball, just Gibbs. Uh, construction. What's, up What's up with Andy Gray? Is that Matlock, first that of all? Is, <laughs> that is Matlock. What are you doing with a Matlock poster? So it's funny you say that. I had a buddy who literally just texted me the other day and was like, he sent me the Matlock theme and he was like, I hate that I have, like, I, this was just stuck in my head. And I know it was you that it was stuck in my head because I could do the whole, da, da, da. he's an Atlanta trial lawyer in the eighties. Uh, as you I'm fully aware, he was, it was my favorite show. Like I watched it on WGN uh, a bunch growing up. Like when I was sick home from school, I was watching Matlock and Andy Griffith was before me. And that was my parent. That was my dad, like his all time favorite show. So that's more of him. So I got this and it's like this really cool, like metal, like just really, really cool type, uh, uh, well, you fine that I found. You don't do, you don't do Andy Griffiths. I just, it's fine. I just more of a oh. Matlock guy. It's, it's fine. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. That's the best you got is it's, it's fine. fine. That's not good. It doesn't um, age as well as Matlock. Matlock's, you know what Matlock's doing? You know what Ben's doing? Ben is out here putting murderers away every single day in Atlanta, Georgia. Do you know what they're doing in Mayberry? Not a thing. They aren't solving any crimes. They aren't fixed. They aren't on it top the, of their game. It was, it was an original Seinfeld. It was a show about nothing. Yeah. Matlock's a show about something. It's a show about Ben Matlock. You're, you're not where, a Seinfeld guy? Oh, I love Seinfeld. What, love you Seinfeld. should love Mayberry, right? It's, yeah. it's, they're both kind I didn't of say it, I hated it. I just said it wasn't. All right, so here's, here's my other question. Are yeah. you watching... Are you watching some uh, Angela Lansbury murder she wrote on uh, on the Hallmark Part Two channel? Were so, you, were, you, were you a double feature Matlock murder she wrote guy? Love murder she wrote. No, love murder she wrote. That was my grandmother's favorite show. Um, watched uh, that a lot when I was there. Um, definitely Matlock was more, but I will tell you, my wife, <laughs> she's made fun of me. Like, and you mentioned Hallmark. I think I've seen every aurora tea garden movie the hallmark movies you know what i'm talking about the detective aurora tea garden the the library detective i walked out of the room my wife my wife lives on that on that channel but does she do aurora tea garden i walk out of the i don't know i walk out of the room when that stuff is on man it's so good it's just it's so it like i have a lot going on every day brent i get to turn my like i all my so wearies. Are you watching going. all the Christmas movies in July? Is that what you're doing? No, I'm not that guy, but you're I will the, say, you know what? You're the two high school sweethearts who hadn't seen each other in 15 <laughs> years come back and fall in love in front of a Christmas tree. Is no, that that's not me. But I will say, I, you know, that you'll, I don't know if you'll like this. I'm a Christmas tree all year round kind of guy. It's not, it's not a Christmas. At that point, it's just a pine tree. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It's a spruce tree. It's, it's got light. Have you ever just turned off when you're kind of going through it and you're just like kind of stressed and you're like, let's 
let's turn the lights down, watch some TV, and turn the Christmas tree back on with the colored lights and everything. And you just do you have a Christmas tree up right now? Yeah. <laughs> Chase. This take is a lot worse than your Joe Milton take. You're going to take a lot more ribbing for this. You're probably going to edit this part out. Let's move on to some more manly things. Who is that underneath Mayberry next to Peyton Manning? Is that Doc Rivers? Okay, Doc Rivers. Mm. I started to say that's not Spud. It's too small for Spud. No, Doc Rivers, Atlanta Hawk, Doc Rivers. And then I got like this huge uh, Atlanta Braves uh, World Series. Oh, you're a Doc fan. guy, not a neat guy, not a dominant guy. Neek's okay. I was more of a Doc guy. You know what's weird is my favorite, like who I saw the most growing up because they were you're a Tree a- Rollins guy at the end of the day, weren't you? No, uh, Alan Henderson. You're no, young. Chris. You're too I like young for Tree Rollins. You don't. Yeah, no, that. not not for me. I also loved ISO Joe. Like I was a big like those Hawks, those forgotten Hawks teams with Joe Johnson and Josh Smith. They, they were forgotten. Yes, <laughs> and with good reason, right? He was like a ten-time All Star. Seven times, sir. What was he? How but did you? they ever do anything in the in the in the league where everybody gets in the playoffs and they play year round? They made the playoffs. They had a streak. They had one of the longest NBA playoff streaks, consecutive playoff did streaks. Did they ever the get out of the first round? Did, did, we, did they ever make any noise? What are you doing to me, Brent? What is this? What's happening over the last four minutes? Just because I didn't love Andy Griffith, Brent I'm, has turned on me. I'm just I'm just trying to figure out what we got going on here. Okay. Mm. I was fine with the Matlock thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. Do you see they're rebooting it? I, no. And then they shouldn't reboot it. I'm yeah. okay with him. I mean, it, he was the modern day Perry Mason. Like, mm-hmm. I, and okay, I, I can get that. You know, you, you did, you did, you did go down. When you tell me you like the lady, the old lady riding a bicycle on the entrance, on the in- intro for, Angela Lansbury. <laughs> I'm just like, what did she do to deserve these drive-bys, Brent? Like, what? She's just, out here just existing I, in her little I mean, town that, of Maine, that, solving crimes. There's a lot of crime in that town. It's a lot of crime in that I mean, town. How did that happen? A lot and of crime. Did Tom Bosley find his way to Maine. His mother. Mm. I like Bosch. It's pretty manly. <laughs> <laughs> this thing's off the rails, man. What have you done? I've got work to do. I, uh, man, I, I got to tell my wife I've been tested here. No, I mean, look, we like, we like, I love jazz. You're a renaissance man. Congratulations. I mean, look, it's on the name. Sports renaissance man. It's right there, Brent. Oh, you are a renaissance man. But I mean, sports, I mean, I didn't know exactly what renaissance meant. I didn't know it meant the Hallmark Network or the Hallmark. It channel. means everything. I know a little bit about everything. You're a, you're a, you're a, what's the, what's the girl that was on, uh, uh, Kirk Cameron's sister, what was what was her name? Candace. Oh, Candace Cameron Burr. Yeah, she married the hockey player. So you're yes. you're a big fan of her because she's like, did she leave that network? She's on a different. She network did. Now. So they're not finishing crushing, the Aurora Tea Garden movies because crush, was that a crushing blow? Was that a devastation deal to see I her wonder, leave Hallmark to go to wherever she went? It was brutal for me because <laughs> I am a big fan of those movies. Like those movies, they're just. They're so perfect to have some decaf coffee, put on the weighted blanket, Brent, get nice. <laughs> get nice and cozy. You've got the monogrammed Hallmark blanket <laughs> on your couch. There's with nothing some, wrong with that. With some warm chamomile tea or something. Love chamomile tea. Yeah. I. This is um, chamomile tea in here right now. Yeah. Love some chamomile tea. I'm gonna get some sleep tea right after this. 
and it's like a mixture of you need some i'm just telling you right now <laughs> we're just i'm just saying i mean look man i uh i don't know if you can tell here not a lot of calluses on these <laughs> hands <laughs> not really my game here's my thing i love here's my favorite thing you be you mm-hmm. all right chase you be you and if and if you need and if you need a good evening marathon of murder, she wrote. Yes, lock. You you roll with it. You yeah. be you. Go for it. And if I'm, if I'm like feeling a little insecure, then I'm just gonna pop on some Bosch and be like, yeah, let's go Bosch, L.A. crime, L.A. noir, tough. Because when people think Chase Thomas, they think tough, burly, <laughs> gritty. Yeah, same way with me, right? <laughs> I don't know. You're doing the farm thing. I think you get a pass. I think people think that you well, would I'm have talent. I'm just yeah. not very smart. <laughs> I mean, I've only been doing this website for 22 years and 23 years now. And mm. what are you going to do in the month of June and July in your off season? I'm going to get up every morning at 6:30 and go pick beans because mm. I'm a genius. <laughs> Makes a ton of sense, right? Hey. What'd you do today? I picked a bushel of beans. <laughs> Is that what they're called? A bushel? When you get enough of them, yeah, you get you get twenty USDA weight. I think is twenty eight pounds. Twenty eight. And they're pounds. called a bushel. It's a bushel of beans. That's a weight. Okay. That's I never a, knew that. That's a weight scale thing. So, hmm. so um, when, when I'm when I'm doing some radio in the mornings, generally uh, I'm I've got my I've got my AirPods in and I'm mm. generally crawling on the ground or sitting on the ground, picking beans. If it's in the mm. month of July when I do that. So it's hot. seems a little yeah, hot. That's why you got to start early. I just, I don't think I'm going to do the farm life. Brent. I don't think it's for me. <laughs> we, we don't serve a lot of camel milk tea on the farm. <laughs> my wife does watch Hallmark though. So I, I, I mean, that, that's, that's possible here. Mm. So, Man. but again, you be you. I'm going to be me. That's that's all I can be. I'm sorry for rhyming. Like, I've got my Keyshawn dog with her Tennessee bandana. There's some art here. That's obviously not going to help the whole manly vibe. I'm looking around. There's just not not a lot that's that's helping me at the moment. Got a big bookcase over here. I read a lot. I think that's... I got a gargoyle for you that's reading. Here you go, Brent. <laughs> Like I said, man, you be you. I'll be me. Uh, go to VolQuest.com. This, this is all because I ask about Ben Matlock in the back. This, this is, I mean. Is 15 minutes of your life you're never going to get back. All because I asked you if that was Ben Matlock on your poster behind you. I'm just going to chop it and put it on the general's quarters and let people make of it what they will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can call it VolQuest after dark. And <laughs> Yeah, Okay. <laughs> I think it's I I'm not sure. At, at least look, at least you got a major league baseball blanket there. Or mm. What is that on your chair? You got covered up. Oh there. yeah, no, I got the whole the whole major okay. league baseball, all 30 teams right okay. there. But at least that's not yeah. your hallmark. I'd rather be watching my hallmark movie blanket. Waiting look, blanket. Aurora Teagarden, she's undefeated in solving crimes. Undefeated, Brent. Not many can just say like, that. Just like all those Christmas movies always end up with a couple getting together, right? That's true. You're I mean, a sucker for happy endings. That's very, that's very clear, Chase. You're Thank a sucker you. I'm a married man. I love my wife. I love a happy ending. I love a good happy ending. It's, it's great stuff. Well, Christmas trees and snow in July. That's all for you, my friend.
Yeah, I'm going to go turn on my Christmas tree just for you after this. Brent Hubs, thank you as always. And uh, I hope to talk again soon. All right, see you, man. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.